Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. August is here. All of Ukraine's pro leagues are well underway. Ukrainian and European cup exits have already occurred. Meanwhile, charity games have successfully taken place in London too, plus a whole heap of transfers as well. Of course, there's nowhere better to discuss that all and more right here. Welcome to another episode of Ukraine Plus Football. Before we were preparing for this episode, I was reading a, a book about Eastern European football, and they were talking about the Bosnian team that travelled the world playing friendly matches during the war in the early 90s. And in an interview with the coach, he said about meeting the president of one country who said, it's really good to see what you're doing. You are giving Bosnian football and Bosnia as a country, a voice in this difficult time. And this weekend, we saw Ukrainian football once again make sure that the Ukrainian voice was at the, the forefront of people's thinking all across, not only the UK, but Europe as a whole. Andrew, you were there all weekend at both matches. How was the experience? It was a resounding success, in my opinion, Um Stars from across sort of the footballing world, legends, Clarence Seydorf, Shevchenko lining up with Rebrov, uh, Mudrik coming in, Zinchenko is not played in weeks, getting 10 minutes, uh, Yakubu making a, a special cameo, Samueto, stars from Ted Lasso, etc. etc. In general, it was a really sort of feel-good um few hours in Stamford Bridge. The early morning weather sort of went away uh, by the time kickoff came. And it was, I feel everyone was sort of living in the moment and sort of remembering, especially what's happening um, with regards to the war in Ukraine and raising money in this respect for the cause um, of the school in Chernihiv that needs to be rebuilt. On top of that, you have to be able to have a match like this, I feel like every single day, probably for a number of years, in order to be able to sort of fund and rebuild every destroyed school uh, and everything like that. But I feel that this event has shown that there is an opportunity for doing things like this in the future. And I've already seen that they're talking maybe of doing another one somewhere in Paris or Milan or somewhere like that. And it was good to see some of these sort of global football, footballing superstars and celebrities sort of speak about sort of the war, um, the fact that they're very happy to be involved in this. And I think in, in general, um, it sort of brought the war a bit more back into the sort of sports agenda spotlight, if that makes sense, because recently, well, maybe not recently, but war fatigue has certainly crept in across the world and it's important to continue doing so. Aside from Game for Ukraine, I don't know if it was on purpose or if it sort of was like a happy coincidence. Shakhtar were also in London this weekend um, where they came to play against Spurs in a charity friendly at the Spurs Stadium. First time being there as well. One of the best stadiums I've ever been to, in my opinion. Great atmosphere for a pre-season friendly it was, of course, um, my good friend Ange Postacoglu's first match in charge of Tottenham at home. So they got their money's worth. Harry Kane scored four. 
Um, <laughs> Shakhtar fortunately played out a one-all draw in the first half, but sort of unraveled in the second. And it was a very much an in-and-out job. They flew in, I think, at some point on Saturday and then flew out back to Poland and then to Ukraine uh, shortly after the full-time whistle. So job done in that respect uh, from Shakhtar. I think they raised a, a, a bit of money for some of their charitable causes that they've been sort of working on during the full-scale invasion in terms of helping out wounded soldiers and all that kind of stuff. And on top of that, um, it was an opportunity for the likes of Serhii Palkin to go and chat to the Spurs hierarchy per se and see whether he can get some compensation for Manuel Solomon, as we know. According to The Athletic, though, and friend of the pod, Adam Crafton, they came away none the wiser in terms of a solution with regarding to that. Shakhtar want around 6.5 million euros for Solomon as compensation because he's obviously arrived for free this summer, six months before his contract actually expired at Shakhtar, but it's still through the sort of loan system that FIFA permits. So <clears throat> the general jurisdiction is out of is out of anyone's real control and Spurs officially are not obligated to pay anyone or Shakhtar in particular for that for that fee. Spurs are actually ready to pay a percentage of the next fee that they make on him when they if they eventually sell him in the future. Uh but what that percentage is I'm I'm not 100% sure yet. Obviously it's not been agreed upon just now. And I mean I feel that this is going to carry on for a while and maybe end up in next to nothing in all honesty. Yeah, it's a sad legacy of some of the decisions that FIFA made uh, now 16 or so months ago and Ukrainian football is on the, the sore end of that decision and it's not only Shakhtar we should stress as suffering because of the, the poor decisions made at that time. Now because of this friendly of course Match day two got underway a few days earlier, as can happen in Ukrainian football. Fixtures get juggled around, and it was Wednesday or Thursday, I forget when, Shakhtar travelled to Rivna to take on already relegation, struggling Veres, and it was a bit of a shock. A controversial goal, to put it mildly. It's been discussed across the globe. Was it... Or was it not a goal by Matt Vienko? Yeah, so the goal was controversial, in all honesty. It was the opener where Matt Vienko, well, took a quick free kick. That was a direct free kick. Uh, whilst no one was really paying attention, especially the Veris goalkeeper, Yefen uh, Past, and most of the other players that were sort of lining up, ready for a sort of an in-swinger. And it went straight in. People have been talking about whether the referee sort of raised his hand with his whistle in it. The official explanation out of the UAF Refereeing Association or whatever, where, which explains their decisions, came out a few days ago to say that it was exactly that, that Matvienko wanted to take it quickly and there's no need to whistle uh, in terms of the rules for a free kick. And it's all at the behest of the team that is taking it. Whereas this has been going on, obviously, there's been lots of discussion whether it's sort of unsportsmanlike, and and that kind of stuff. But you can draw comparisons to, I would say, the Trent Alexander-Arnold corner a few years ago against Barcelona, where he took it very quickly. And I think Wijnaldum scored it off Salah. Um, and obviously, I think that was like either the equaliser or the winner. So that it has come up in the past. At the end of the day, some people would some people might say that Shakhtar got a bit of karma in the end when Veres equalised and ended up scraping a point against uh, the Shakhtar team. But it shows that at the moment, um, especially after match day one, which finished 2-1, it's not been the easiest starts for Van Leeuwen. And I, feel I was that... going to ask you about this. I was going to ask you about this. They're struggling, especially at the back, as far as I can tell. Obviously, yeah. breaking news this evening uh, that we'll, we'll go on to, but the, the defence in general looking a bit of a mess. Absolutely. I mean, Matvienko, 
he just doesn't feel the same since I guess maybe since the winter break after he had a few shaky appearances in the Europa League uh, towards the end of last season and then with Zbirna in June and then now it's like and then I saw him against Spurs and against Harry Kane it was a bit of a difficult <laughs> a bit of a difficult um, difficult afternoon for him they've got problems at the back because Bondar has just gone injured for two months because of a fractured collarbone they've brought in uh, the old friend of Shakhtar is in for his third spell, 36-year-old Dmitry Chihrinsky. He's coming in on a one-year deal just to literally bring cover. However, they have signed uh, Israel under-21 international Stav Lemkin from Hapwell Tel Aviv, who is highly praised by a lot of sort of football Twitter scouts and other people that have been writing articles about him and following him for a number of years. He's done really well with, I think, the under-19s. Um, and the under-20s in recent years, and the under-21s, of course. So there's expectations for him. He actually made his debut, well, unofficially, against Spurs at the game that I went to. He seemed okay, fairly, but, I mean, he came on in the second half and conceded four goals in it. So evidently there needs to be a bit of embedding where he needs to adapt to his new teammates, probably understand some sort of common language, start training with them because I don't think he's even trained with them really other than like a couple of days in Lviv or something. And then we'll see how that goes because it is a bit of a problem area for them. And there's also been talk about Riznik in goal, but he did concede four after, what, five after coming on uh, for Andriy Piatov, who officially retired finally uh, after three farewell games. He's now officially ended that and he's part of the sort of coaching staff for Shakhtar. But Riznik pulled off a few good saves and I mean, I feel that he will just grow into the role. He's still quite young. He just needs a bit of guidance and that kind of stuff. And Edward Kozik started for Shakhtar in that match. And similarly, he needs a lot more first team football, I think, at the back for him to sort of start playing a bit more confidently uh, especially against the likes of Harry Kane or anyone else. And that's the kind of level that Shakhtar will be playing against in the Champions League, especially against the pot one, pot two sides that they will inevitably get drawn against. Personally, after seeing that Spurs game, obviously I know there's a month before the group stage starts and there could be a lot of changes. I feel that this Champions League campaign is going to be very, very tough compared to last season, which was like, adrenaline motivation sort of like Ted Lasso per se if we want to go like that <laughs> um from like a Yavitovic point of view who's like Mr Motivator whereas now it's it seems to be similarly to the stage when De Zerbi came in where he wants to instill this new very open attacking football but it leaves you very wide open at the back and mm, Shakhtar need to deal with that whereas we'll speak we'll touch on it with Dinamo later on Dinamo similarly have a problem at the back but they're able to score goals whereas Shakhtar are currently struggling in in converting chances Riznik has started both games league games well this season initially because Trubin was suspended after the, the fight at the end of last year but now we're on the cusp of another it feels like every week we're talking about transfers from the UPL to the big leagues. Now, where are we with the move to Portugal, Andrew? Well, by the time everyone's listening to this, uh, I think Anatoly Trubin will have signed for Benfica. Um, he arrived in Lisbon on a Monday evening and has since penned a five-year deal until 2028, as they say. Uh, that's according to Fabrizio Romano and other people, especially in uh, Portugal. The fee, I think, in the end is 10 million euros plus one or two million add-ons. But I think the key sale for Shakhtar, Ala, Dinamo and Serhankov is that they're getting 40% of his next fee that Benfica inevitably or hopefully sell him on for um, in the next, I don't know, couple of years or whenever they end up doing so. 
because obviously Tobin in his last year of his contract. So Shakhtar had to sell him this window. Inter, I think, were being a bit more, let's say, economical in their uh, efforts. I think they offered similar money up front, but I think a lot lower uh, sell-on fee. So he's off to Portugal. I mean, for him, he's up against Vlachomidos, which I think he's, well, one of the Greek national team goalkeepers. Whether Vlachomidos is going to stay there uh, or sort of fight it out with Trubin, fingers crossed Trubin can sort of get a few chances and start, you know, coming into himself and becoming the number one there. But easily, Portuguese league, very good. He'll be playing Champions League football. What more do you want? Not a lot, really. Not a lot. <laughs> it's it's just great to see. He's another one who was on my list a few years ago, and it's uh, yeah, a career that's progressing nicely, and all credit to him for standing tough and getting his move. Now, who would have thought, Ray, after two match days, we would be talking about Ruch as second place in the league? Now, me and you were of a similar mindset. It's great to see the setup over there starting to bear fruit. I mean, how impressive have they been? Rook is actually a um, separatist club of the league, so I don't think we should discuss it. <laughs> I'm joking. Well, in terms of TV rights for the broadcasting, uh, their matches, they are obviously not in a good spot right now. But in terms of their squad, I mean, we remember their achievements last year with youth, and now their um, coach is actually the um senior team coach and the senior team is actually the copy of under 19 team from last year which allows them a bit of uh, squad depth and the perspective but again we don't know what's on their owner's minds because he established an academy he established the uh hideout for a lot of uh football personas last year when the war kicked in and now he's being um well, possessive of uh, Ukrainian football and his power and his position, which is um, it's not about oligarch football in this case. It's more about being um, um, truthful, honest, and humble. But on the football pitch, Ruch was impressive. 4-1, clean two, two goals. Uh, last goal from Vorska was an own goal. It was ridiculous, something you might see on old FIFAs. But rather than uh, Ukrainian Premier League, as farcical as it might sound. But yeah, Skripnik and Lavrinenko are known to be the two coaches who are the least emotional and the most phlegmatic in Ukrainian football. And given the Skripnik background, he made his name in Germany and he came back to, to this. I still, I don't know if he asks himself that question. You know, it's, it's him who we had huge hopes for as, I don't know, one of the up-and-coming coaches, um, like representatives of Ukrainian coaching school, whatever. But it is it is what it is. Of course, obviously, Vorska is, is in a lot of trouble. They have, uh, they're owned by an oligarch and we know where this guy is and the start of the season. Only two match days, but so far I would put them in the same place as Zoria in terms of struggle. Definitely. So, I mean, Andrew, you had a pleasant meeting this weekend with one of the first products of the Rook Academy as well, didn't you? Yeah, you could say so. Um, at that Spurs game, ended up bumping into um brand new Swansea signing, uh, Mikola Kucharevich. He seems to be in high spirits about his move after says he's recovered fully from his injury that he picked up last season um, at Hibs which obviously put him out for the majority of the run-in towards the end of the campaign, which meant that he missed the under-21 Euros as well. But he's raring to go. I think it's sort of like a full transfer that he's made there. So he's now fully a Swansea player, Not none of this loan stuff anymore. And he's looking to make his debut um, imminently. I mean, they've got a midweek game this week, so by the time... People listening to this, maybe he's already made his debut. It'll be great to see. And I feel that he's got the attributes to be a success in the championship. Let's not get too 
carried away that he's going to soon get a move to a Premier League club or something like that just yet. But he's at an age where he can easily develop. The Swansea manager arrived from Barnsley this summer and he's known for very sort of direct football. So hopefully that'll be quite good for Kukarevic in terms of getting headers and sort of opportunities to finish within the box. Swansea also have another striker in their team. I think the first choice per se, Joel Perrault, who is prolific or has been prolific in the championship for the past two seasons. There's rumours that he might be leaving, maybe might stay, who knows, but still good competition for Kukarevic. So over the course of a championship campaign, you need to have at least two good strikers in the team just to sort of alleviate how many bloody fixtures there are. Um, and everything else that is involved with, you know, cup games, etc. So, pleasure to have met him and I'm wishing him all the best. And fingers crossed they can, you know, get a few goals in there because, like I said, he's got those attributes. He's quite big, still athletic, got a bit of pace about him, um, and he's relatively good with his feet. He's not your, I would say, typical target man. He's Maybe he's a bit of a... I would say maybe he's a bit more of a technical uh, Artem Dovbik. And Artem Dovbik's pretty technical anyway for quite a big person as well. So let's see how that how that rolls out. Definitely. So up the jacks, as we're going to be saying a lot more this year. And Borskledo, uh, I haven't caused any surprises. Third year in a row out. First stage this time to Dilla. Gory from Georgia. Abysmal night on uh, is it Thursday. It seems like a lifetime ago already. I've tried to forget it, but it's 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 a sorry state of affairs. And was it the last the week before we were celebrating the first victory in however many years of two legged ties. Four years, isn't it, since the last victory of non Dinamo or Shaq. Our denomination, but uh, Vosco couldn't follow it up, and yeah, deservedly the Georgians take their place in the next stage of the Conference League qualifying. The Nipro went in a similar suit out of the Champions League, despite a creditable result, I thought, in the second leg after the disappointment of the first leg. Um, it was two all in the end. Picked up some valuable points there for the coefficient. Or as we say, flown out to the Europa League. And they're up against Slavia on Thursday night, which maybe when some of you are listening to this, if the game is bloody abysmal again. But uh, a lot of action has been going on with the Nipro minus one uh, this week away from Europe as well, Andrew, hasn't it? Absolutely. So it's the news I think everyone's been waiting for for at least the past maybe year to see where Dovbit would go. Last summer, of course, he was linked with everywhere, wasn't he? Like Nottingham Forest, um, yes. other random spots. Uh, I can't even remember Marseille, he was linked in, this, in the winter. But he's finally settled and he's got a new club. And he's already made his debut for that new club, unofficially in a friendly. Um, he's gone to link up with his um, national team teammate, Viktor Tsankov in Girona. And I mean, some people I've seen slightly disappointed saying, oh, he's now 25, 26. Why didn't he go to a, a better club or a better league or something like that? But I mean, I feel that this is a perfect move for him. He will be able to start most of the games. He's up against Christian Stuani, who's a veteran <laughs> per se. Stuani, obviously well versed in sort of the Premier League and everywhere else over his career. But the fact that he's up against sort of someone that's relatively old means that he should have a bit of bedding in time, hopefully, and then hit the ground running from that respect. He's been given the number nine shirt and this is a big opportunity for him to finally show that he can play beyond uh, the UPL, which obviously was relatively straightforward for him last season, where he got 24 goals and a whole host of assists as well. So 
he's going to be useful for Girona, for certain. He's already got quite good chemistry with Viktor Zankov. They like assisting each other for Zbirna. And he's got a friend there, so that should help him settle in into the club as well. And on top of that, it sort of resolves this long-standing thing about him being part-owned by Midgieland and all that kind of stuff. So as far as I'm aware, I think Dnipro 1 uh, are getting... Six million euros flat, and that's sort of their share of it all. And Midland are getting 1.75 or 1.25 million euros plus 30% of the next sale, or something like that. So that's sort of how it's been worked out. Um, obviously, crazy that there are two parties or three parties involved in this transfer anyway, but at least that's finally resolved, and in the end. Fingers crossed he can sort of have a two, have a few good seasons in Spain and then maybe get that move to a slightly better club, be it in Spain or the Premier League or or somewhere else very quickly. But honestly, with the way that Tankov's playing right now, absolutely on fire in pre-season. He's only played two games, but he's um, scored two, got an assist and he's looking really good value for, for the new campaign. But just worthy of mentioning that Dovbik has got a heavy burden on his shoulders because he's replacing Tati Castellanos, who was Girona's top scorer last campaign, came up uh, clutching plenty of big matches for them. So fingers crossed Dovbik can be that solution because he actually, I think, at least unofficially, is their most expensive ever signing. So he's going to have to live up to, to that price tag, be it in the grand scheme of things and in the current market, it's relatively low. Yeah, definitely so. I mean, nice environment for me, him going to Girona. Obviously, Sagankov has sort of laid the path for him to, to, to tread, shall we say. And uh, wishing the best of luck there, to be perfect honest. Uh, probably a slightly lower pressure environment in which we hope he can flourish. And a return to Ukraine, replacing him, of course, of one of the former striking greats of the UPL, even if it was just for one season. Am I right with uh, Filipov? Yeah, so Filipov has officially signed for Dnipro 1, alongside a more of a surprise signing in Bogdan Lednev, who finally leaves Dynamo, no longer as a loanee, but actually a full transfer and for a bit of money, apparently. No idea what the fee is yet, but he is already training with the team, as is Filipov, ahead of the Europa League tie in Prague against Slavia. Let's see if uh, those guys can even make their debuts in that tie. It's potential, but happy to see Filipov back. He can get his career back on track. He's 30 now. He left Desna three years ago, we had. Sort of high hopes for him, uh, at least in St. Truden, just to sort of maybe get, get going there. But really didn't work out. Then he obviously went to Riga, played okay there a bit, and then also got frozen out, went back to St. Truden, and no one wanted to play him. So now he's got a fresh start. He knows the UPL very well. Some people might even say he's like a one-season, two-season wonder, but he scores goals in, in the UPL. And I mean... The league has got even weaker since he left. So if he's not scoring in this league, then there are serious problems. And I'm sure that they've got him on next to no money as well in from St. Trude. And so, uh, or even if his contract's expired, but he should be an apt replacement as well as Daniel Coinda, who's in the in the ranks as well. Obviously still 18, almost 19, but he's got everything to sort of maybe come in, turn into the next Dovbik, as per our good friend Vovas Vadov, who sort of thinks that he's got those attributes. Uh, quite athletic, big build, um, good finisher. And he made his debut against Polizia, uh for the final sort of half hour or so when Dnipro 1 began the era of uh, post-Dovbik. They started without a centre-forward. But then Kuinda came on, had a few shots, looked sharp, Fingers crossed he can sort of start going on because obviously he's been linked to the likes of Benfica in recent years and and everything like that. But he's still there. 
let's see how it goes. But yeah, key thing from Dnipro won there in their opening in their opening match day of the UPL against Polisa, beat them 2-1. 10 men, Polisa, might I say that charge for third is still on for Polisa, by the way, guys. But um, you know, it it might take uh <laughs> might be a bit more hard fought. Oh you can't you can't go two seconds, can you, without getting your prediction in there. Don't blame you as well. Don't blame you. Um now at time of recording, we're just coming out of the European draws for uh, the playoff round and uh, some quirk of fate. The Nipro, if they do manage to get through Prague, which uh, we're not very optimistic about, have got a, a match against Zoria Lugansk, which they have no understanding whatsoever was going on in UEFA headquarters when they came up with the rationale to do away with country uh, boundaries and the whatnot. But they've done it this year and we could very well have a all-Ukrainian playoff match to decide who goes to the Europa League. And looking at that, Ray, you did touch on it earlier when talking about Vorskla. Zoria, Vorskla, the two most disappointing teams of the UPL so far after two match days. How bad are they? And could they even lose to Dnipro minus one? Uh, actually, since we touch on Vorskla again, uh, we remember that their fate is prob- was probably sealed in uh, 2020 after COVID season when Scripping decided to play a draw with uh, Desna while he was in charge of Zoria. So probably now we're talking about these two clubs in context of Skripnik both. Uh, yeah, because um, Zoria is uh, lead, is led by Nenad Lalatovic now, who we covered on previously a lot. And uh, in the first match day, he was wearing a uh, bib, just like the other players. I don't understand why. Is it like team spirit, like connection, it's team building style? I never, I never actually figured it out. It didn't the work. Second match, it didn't work at all. And second match day, he didn't wear one. But still, it was a groundhound day for them because it's it's the same style. The score first, they concede more goals, and well, we just it's, it's it's you know this guy is on the time clock, so it's just ticking. And we I don't know maybe September come, and we might see Bartulovic in charge. I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> Mladen is a good friend of the pod, but I don't know if Zora is actually in a good position to dictate any terms because. Uh, we clearly see, I actually saw a comment of one person uh, under their uh, game report that he was going to Zoria matches back in uh, Persia Liga in 2001-2002. Since then, he's been watching Zoria and he's never seen such desperation in the team. And we remember that this team is basically fighting in Europa League or Conference League, so it's our prospect in Europe. And mentioning um, the team which um, supposedly represents Nipro City, um, it's also the same situation because all these three clubs, they are, um, albeit the Nipro team is um, kind of a new club, um, but they are all owned by so-called oligarchs and businessmen, which um, just decide uh, the fate of the club with the clip of their hands, the clip of their fingers. So this would be, I don't know, an old school end of 2000s derby in the European League because remember Dynamo Shakhtar playing in 2009 in semi-final of UEFA Cup? Something like that. But now, obviously, it's something really... It's like Ronaldo against Messi again in Europe. It's something we've seen before. <laughs> we don't want to see it again. It's enough. We need the quality replacement. And who will get, give us this quality replacement is up for grabs. Oh, definitely so. However, we do have to throw in the, the curveball of Prague just walking straight through the, the team representing the Dnipro and Zaria and taking the spot in the Europa League, which as I look around our pod room, there's a lot of people nodding along in, in agreement there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be very tough for both of them. Obviously, it will be a massive bonus if Nipro 1 somehow get past Slavia and 
it is a sort of a shoot off for getting into Europa League because at least that will be a bonus because we'll have one team in Europa League and then we'll have one team in the Conference League at, at a minimum. But just based on what we saw against Panathinaikos, they weren't too bad in the second leg, but there are evidently problems at the back and just some sort of lack of creativity going on. I'm not entirely sure that we'll have to wait and see how, how they play out. And I mean, this first leg might be too soon, obviously, to see Filipov get involved. We have no idea what, what his match sharpness is, etc. They've just lost Dobbik, who's been hugely pivotal and was brilliant in that second leg against Panathinaikos too. So on top of that, they've just lost uh, Volenet for a few weeks after a terrible head injury that he suffered as well. So they're playing a 19-year-old goalkeeper who doesn't look too good just yet. In a similar fortune as Pavlo Senqua Poltava that I quickly brushed over earlier, he's actually had two rather poor games for um, his club as well. And fingers crossed it doesn't have too much of a bad impact on his confidence and stuff, because obviously as a goalkeeper, that's something you need to have. And that the longer this sort of bad run of form runs for Vorskla, like we had, like we saw last season where they started off the campaign terribly and then somehow had the one of the greatest runs of all time to scrape into the Conference League, it doesn't carry on for too long and it doesn't have sort of a negative impact long term. We'll turn to Andrew on this one. Uh, Inamo, not looking too bad at the moment or am I getting led down the garden path by them this year? Well, two out of two wins for them so far. Four goals scored in each of them. So they're very good attacking-wise. Ray may disagree with uh, the way that they score their goals or the methods of them, per se, with uh, questionable refereeing decisions, etc. But they look to be very good in that in that position, which is a stark opposite to last campaign, where they look pretty dire there and it was sort of scraping 1-0 wins and, and that kind of stuff whereas now Dynamo look to be on top form for that form of his life playing really well three goals in his opening two matches a uh, real decent centre forward there sort of slight good bit of pace confident finishing sort of first time finishes that he can he can take on straight away and that's good for Zbirna as well Chaparenko coming back breath of fresh air for Dinamo I feel that they missed him massively last campaign but the fact that they have now sort of adapted to the new realities I feel that it's not their first rodeo uh, with all the sort of war uh, experiences etc and They've not yet travelled for their Europa Conference League matches just yet. And they've not had like the fatigue of that travel and everything impacting on them thus far. But they do seem a lot sharper and a lot more hungry to sort of succeed rather than, oh, bloody hell, this is it. And I feel that maybe Andrei Yermolenko has played a big role in that. He got two goals against Oblon, two controversial penalties. And... He's now got on 101 goals. So I think he needs, what, 20 or so to to get close to Mrebrov um, and Shatskich and Seleznyov. So it will be interesting over the next couple of years, um, especially if Yarmola will be keep will keep on getting penalties in, in such a style and other goals. Boyalski as well, he's consistent as ever. I think he he played a very big role in that win against uh, Obolon on the weekend. But, but they've lost, they've won both of these games, but they have conceded in both of them. They should, probably should have conceded more against Obolon in reality. But there are questions at the back. That's for certain. And I mean, we saw a brand new centre-back partnership of uh, Djechuk and Sirota against Obolon. The first match day was Popov and Bilovar. And Bilovar is like going out with the daughter, with the daughter of Ihor Surkis at the moment. 
So it's sort of like nepotism-y vibes. And he was terrible. He sort of like did a crap pass and then Manai opened the scoring in that first match. And then Popov got sent off for the most stupidest tackle uh, just for no absolute reason. And he's obviously missing for the next three games or next two with Oberlin out of the way as well. And Dechuk and Sirota, neither are the strongest defensively. <laughs> so... That is a problem area. However, going into this sort of week, this week where they've got Aris, Thessaloniki, people who've been listening to the pod long enough will remember them when they played Colos back in the COVID year. Just the one leg during COVID though, where Colos won 2-1 away. Now we've got a slightly different scenario. I think there's obviously going to be fans there. Adam was alluding to that. He thinks that they've got one of the most... Uh, let's say intimidating ultra displays and in, in in Europe, so that should be fun for them. Check and it out on YouTube, listeners, check it out. Lots of pyro involved in that, and on top of that, we've had our first postponement for Dynamo as a result of European football, like we had in match day one, where Vorskla and Dnipro one had their game postponed. Uh, Dynamo will not play against Metis 925 this weekend, so they can prepare better for Aris second leg. With the draws, as Adam mentioned earlier, we've had the draw for Dynamo. If they get past Aris, they face the winner of Besiktas versus Nefci. So it's not going to be easy. And there's no, let's say, second resort that if you lose against Besiktas, You've got nowhere else to go. You're out of Europe. Maybe that might play into the hands of um, Dynamo that they can win the league with more ease if if they do so because they'll have nothing else to focus on. And I've also heard that if they don't make the European group stages that there's a possible chance that Luchescu might be off. So we'll, we'll see how that ends up happening. But Dynamo will be playing their European home matches in Bucharest. I won't be hopefully going there again because it's a city I have spent too much time in uh, recently or over recent years. So fingers crossed, no British teams or any interesting fixtures if they do make the group stages. But yeah, good luck to them because it's going to be difficult. Away day, Andrew Vlogs coming to YouTube soon, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Ray, elsewhere across the league, any interesting results, any teams caught your eye over the first two match days? The first one would be Obolo Genamo, 2-4. That's a good result. Some experts actually suggest, uh, to add up to what Andrew said in his report of this game, some experts suggest that um, after uh, Dynamo, the second team which played football in this match day was Obolo, which is quite surprising. And I think it's the first time so far <laughs> within these two match days that Obolon is amongst these top three uh, playing football teams, which is hard to disagree with. Statistically, Obolon um, was superior to um, their rivals. And um, the score of the game should clearly been 3-3 because uh, two goals were disallowed by the VAR with, with no particular explanation or without any particular um, graphics or um, the... the um, replay check from the referee but and one thing about this game is that um the outcome the after, aftermath of it that the reaction which was um provoked by obolon establishment by obolon uh, president in particular that he started um sort of a negative passive aggressive wave of uh, accusations and they even released a video on their youtube channel claiming that um claiming the VAR impotence and the um, un unclear, to, to say the least, uh, decisions of the referee, which is not actually the way you build up a confidence in the team. I hope that... Uh, I saw in the broadcast that the um, training squad and the players, they were actually quite calm when referee was you know, making his decisions, which is a good sign. But I don't know what's happening inside the team, how these overall hype will affect the dressing room in the particular in the upcoming games because a lot of fans a lot of neutral fans actually voted actually 
uh, got their sympathy for Obolony after this game. A lot of comments, a lot of support, a lot of, as as I said, Obolony was playing football. And um, the hardest match for the for the team is always the third one because after the next match after the um, big team Dynamo Shakhtar or any others. The next match after that, like with the um, team which is middle class or an outsider, it's always hard for Obolon. And let's see how they handle Chernomorets next week. Next week, because they're going to Odessa for that. Uh, I would go back to you, Adam, for your matches which caught your eye, or to Andrew, and then I might add up something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Alexandria have also got a hundred percent record going into match day three. Of the UPL, they've won both their opening two games, one nil against Metalist nineteen twenty five this weekend just gone, and in the first match day one nil against Krivbas. Rotanya has finally fixed the problem of, uh, I guess, being unable to score and holding on to wins. He has had the benefit of Shulansky being in top former. Ray's been giving his praises at least for a season minimum um, for this guy. And now he's finally coming coming in hot with two goals and two winners. So that's always that's always nice. And Alexandria, in case you guys didn't know, they've actually got um, Ivan Kalushny from uh, uh, Legend of Kerala Blasters back in there. And he he came on against Methodist 925, looked quite cool. So, I mean, they seem to be working out well there and maybe Rotan now that he's not got any other serious distractions per se like uh, national team matches and under 21 stuff he can f- put some full energy in until at least next summer when he's got the Olympic job but right now uh, Alexandria are impressing me and also uh, a team that I thought would do not too bad Colos are playing quite well um, they got a win against Trodna Moritz on the weekend, sort of standard against the Trondheim Warriors of Essa, who look very good on match day one. So it's all sort of, obviously anyone can be anyone championship uh, style going in so far. But I've liked the look of Colos. They've got some, those new uh, players that we mentioned. Um, got the first draw against Oberlein, which wasn't particularly let's say, inspiring of a game for anyone watching. And I feel that anyone could have predicted between those two teams that that would would probably have ended in a draw of some sort of kind and nil-nil was just icing on the cake. But, um, you know, Luchkevich is looking good after having a number of years being injured just constantly. And whilst he's fit, that's quite nice. Turikov's, you know, continuing where he left off as an Alexandria player, scoring off, you know, f- from a defensive point of view. So he's always going to come in, come in helpful there. And Demchenko, who left uh, Moritz in the, in the summer, he's looking very good as well. So all in all, I feel that some of these teams that don't have European distractions at the moment have actually got a big advantage at, at the moment and they need to maximise the amount of points they can pick up now Whilst those teams that are in Europe, a la uh, Dnipro 1, Zoria, especially them being in terrible form at the moment, to to do that and try and build up as many points as they possibly can. It'll be interesting to see, but I, I'm excited for them. And just before we move on, Adam is going to touch on a, a particular team as well. LNZ. I mean, all credit to them. After the long journey from Chikazi down to... Ushgarod, they came away with a 3-0 victory. Um, what a great performance it was. Always good to get your first victory in the UPL uh, for the new team. And let's see how they progress on this season. Now, listeners, you may remember in the last episode, um, Andrew, Ray and uh, Vadim as well, we all selected teams in the Persia and the Druva who we were going to follow this year and uh, well my teams there's certain symmetry to them I, I chose Hust who had just been promoted up to the Persia League in their second season of professional football and Neva Venita who I was I'm hoping to see move up to the Persia as well and 
at time of recording, both teams have conceded seven goals each. Now, Hus did take three games to reach it, with two 1-0 defeats in the league and a 5-1 defeat in the Cup to Scala. Uh, neither Vinitsa magically hit that seven-goal number in one match with a quite a bizarre game last Sunday lunchtime where they lost 7-4 to Schwiegel, if I pronounce their name correctly. It's Zwagel, Adam. Zwagel. If it was in Spanish, I'd say it correctly though, Ray, wouldn't I? <laughs> the, the team, we could just call it the team coached by Yuri Maximo. There we go. Right. Uh, Ray, how are your teams getting on? Yeah, as we discussed previously in um, Persia Liga, there's um, less interesting prospects. Um, but still, um, I would like to mention that Libre Beret is quite impressive um, on all fronts. Uh, however, they lost to Poltava, which was not um, expected. Uh, I would rather focus on uh, Inholet because last year I made a mistake by calling them the, style, the most stylish team in the Premier League, and now they're clearly, clearly not because they downgraded to um, the manufacturer who is represented in Russia these days and who also uh, is the provider of the Ukraine national team kit. And they downgraded to them, and they... Um, they're not being active in social media, and but they're showing the results. I mean, they still have zero considered goals, and Lupashko is probably doing a good job there. But we don't know what's going on with the owner, right? He's never he hasn't been in the public eye recently, and um, they're relatively laying low these days. But I I would assume that amidst all this fuss, they would be the main competitors for the promotion again. And also in Druva Liga, and there were some uh, interesting results uh, regarding, first of all, the Halicina derby, because the second team of Ruch met uh, the second team of Karpati. And a Ukrainian football legend, uh, Valentin Slusar, is coaching the second team of Ruch, which, as we know, their under-19 team last year made quite a fuss in Europe, but they lost 5-0 to Karpati. And that was not a proper start. However, I would like to um, point out that on PFL website, they uh, show the distance between the countries, for, sorry, between the teams. For example, if we have Druzhba Mirivka playing Mikulayev or Vast, we're still confused. What's the name of the team? And they tell you the distance between the cities. So, for example, 500 kilometers was the distance between Mirivka and uh, Mikulayev and Lokomotiv Kiev, which, the team which I'm in favor of in Liga played Yuxa and their distance is 25 kilometers, which is like another neighborhood of one city. But coming back to the results, it, I should point out that uh, Liga is, it's not really, we don't know if, for example, Karpati to win the league, if they're going to promote to Persia. Is it correct to assume that or not? But so far, Druzhba is showing um, some Impressive goal scoring uh, abilities, as same as Zagel actually, because uh, seven four is quite a result, and I address everybody to see the highlights of the game. Drusbo will face Niva Vinitsa this weekend, so must be in there. Good luck, Adam. <laughs> it's a it's a you versus Phil Howden Derby. Phil was uh, <laughs> messaging me about Drusbo winning seven one, and he's got high hopes for them this campaign. He's he says that they should be one of the favourites for the league, and it looks like early front runners, uh, as many people predicted. Zviagel, who obviously under Maximov got a few, I think, loanees from Polisia coming in, and that kind of stuff. Drusbo getting involved, and Scala played out a massive 4-3 uh, victory in their first game of the season against uh, Kudrivka. And I would highlight, I would recommend watching the highlights of that game because there's, I think the the winner for, for the 4-3 was like absolute brilliant. Oh, it was. Uh, it was. <laughs> so do, do go check that out if you can. Uh, quickly, as Ray mentioned, his locomotive team against Uxa, they played out a nil-nil draw at the Banikov. I don't know why it was played there, but it was played at Banikov. And it was the first ever Druhalika match that had a VAR in it. But as far as I'm aware, it wasn't called upon. So uneventful from that respect. 
And just quickly wrapping up on Padshah, uh, from my perspective, Karpate, they've got off to two out of two wins. Not top of the league. It's another team that our good friend Phil loves, Niva Buzova. They're carrying on from their absolutely sensational Druhalika season in Padusha with two straight victories going on there. And I mean, that would be quite something if they somehow maintained, you know, their 100% record all the way until the winter break again for a second year in a row. But I feel that just with the competitiveness of everything, that probably won't be happening. And as expected, Metlis Harkiv, who have got rid of most of their players, signing a load of players that are relatively unknown, are bottom after two with, you know, zero points, two losses. I feel it's going to be a long, tough season for them. And if they finish it, I'd be even more surprised just because I don't really understand the purpose of it um, at the moment with sort of Yaroslavsky funding drying up, Krasnikov's relationship with this with that team unknown or unver- unspecified. It, it, it's all a bit of a difficult one. But like Ray says, in Hullets, off to a flyer and considerably probably the worst downgrade in SMM social media work I've ever seen. In terms of like they're they hardly post anything now. They post some very low quality photos, uh, summaries of games. And then the graphics that they do for the scores is like someone made it on paint. I mean, from from like a few years ago, when we sort of knew someone who worked there, where they sort of were quite progressive in in their thinking of making it quite cool and that kind of stuff. Now it looks like it's completely on the back burner. And I guess football is the main focus. And yeah, you could say that that is the main thing about it, but we'll we'll, we'll see how, how that progresses. Uh, because as well as that, Sumi saw football return at the Uvalani at the weekend, uh, obviously without uh, any issues there. And it was sort of draw between Victoria and MFC Metalurk, who are, I would say, struggling um, in regards to life without their prolific centre-forward, uh, Sidorov. So let's see how that all rounds up going forward. And Adam, I think you want to sort of touch on the cup because... It's a whole busy schedule this year, isn't it? The cup's back, but what's going on? Easy, isn't it? It's every week we've got cup matches going on at the moment across the country. Interesting one, Real Farmer withdrew, didn't they, a couple of weeks back? Because they said somebody kindly explain how regionalized draws happen, and we have to go to Sumi from Rio from Odessa, which was, I believe, they couldn't physically get themselves there in time for kickoff after their their game or back from kickoff in time to for their Drupa match the following week. So they withdrew instead and took three nil defeat. Yeah, we're already two rounds through the cup. A lot of uh, interesting results so far. Um a number of Druha teams have got through to the, the third qualifying round, one step away from when the bottom half of the UPL will join. And we have next week on the 15th uh, games that AI, Svigal taking on UCSA, Andrew. So I wonder how many that will be. Fast agribusiness, here, good Livy Beret taking on Locomotive, Keeve Derby, Ray. One of your teams is going home that day. Yeah, and previously Locomotive, Locomotive reached the stage by beating Dinas in sort of Kiev region derby. So we have plenty of those. Two penalty series, uh, one with uh, Yuxa and the other one with Podila. And they both were, were worth watching. And that leads us to kind of regret that they add extra time in Cup. They would, just, they would rather just proceed to penalties, you know. But hey, we're in for the drama. Oh. And one last team to give a shout out to Trusty Nets. Beautiful kit there. Beautiful kit. I'm going to get my hands on one very soon. Phoenix Sport will be travelling to Sumi for their third qualifying round match uh, next week in the Cup as well. Andrew, there's a 
there's a team we forgot? Uh, yes, FK Mikolaev, Lviv Oblast. They're the only amateur ah. team left in the competition, and they somehow made it past Bukovina. Herschelika opposition there, 1-0, and they're going to be facing Akrobiznis. So, <laughs> I mean, I want to see them make it to the next round. So UPL maybe, team. yeah, a UPL, UPL team, that would just be brilliant. And there's sort of a, from I think maybe the first round, there's this sort of viral photo going around of a, a cowboy hat wearing old guy fan from Mikolaev, Lviv Oblast. And uh, yeah, just look quite novelty. Well, that's it today for everyone, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you have all enjoyed it as much as we have. As we said, Ukrainian football never stops. There's never a, not a story to discuss. And I hope you've enjoyed our discussions this evening. By the time we're back with you, there'll be a whole world of new news to digest, dissect. And until then, stay safe and goodbye for now. Goodbye. Oh, you, 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 oh, you